through um, six, seven times at least. Um, I can stand before God with that. That's I'm okay with, maybe more than that. But here's the thing. Um, in the New Testament, I probably have read the book of Acts 20 times. And I'm going to tell you this passage that I'm going to share with you today is something that I don't, I don't know that I've seen it as clear as I did this week. So here's what I want to tell you is the word of God, the way it comes forward is that it opens up and it's, it's like you'll discover something new all the time. You know, all of a sudden one word changes the meaning for you. So and, and that's where I'm going to start with this is there. We've been on this series called On a Mission from God. And ultimately, Jesus was. He's already accomplished that. So we are. For him, it's finished. For us, the race is on. How about you? Do you, do you realize that you've got a part to play in the kingdom of God and in God's plans and purposes? Some are training. Some are running. Some are near the end. Some are just spectators. And for some, they will choose to get into the race today. Today, we're signing you up for the race. The race is bigger than our own lives, bigger than anything you've carved out, bigger than, than an assignment that you've given yourself when you had to declare a major, when you had to declare, well, this is what I want to do. I remember in high school, I was one of the last guys. I was on the, the newspaper uh, staff and a uh, little yearbook and newsletter and I was interviewing my fellow uh, seniors and uh, writing down the things that they wanted to do with their lives, where they were going, Coast Guard Academy, into the military service, some, some branch. Some were going into various colleges and universities. And I just wanted to play with my Irish setters. I don't think I actually ever appeared in there what I wanted to do or be with my life because I was just really undecided. I was wrestling with things. I knew I didn't want to be small. I knew I didn't want to grow up, uh, continue with what I'd grown up in. We grew up poor. We grew up, there's certain things about my life that I wanted to run from. Anybody ever been there? That, you know, it just represented even a small town like a shady side where I grew up a little town called Centerville up in Michigan. And um, I just wanted to get away. I wanted to kind of make a name for myself kind of thing. And, and, in general, people who stayed around that area, it's almost like this. You go to the coal mines, you go to the steel mill, you work in retail, you, you go to a restaurant. To, and I just felt like, man, I want to go somewhere and live larger than that. Now, that's a high and lofty thing because I didn't have a clue what I wanted to do. See what I mean? So one part of me is saying, yeah, go for it. And the others go for what? You see? So today you get a chance. I asked in the bulletin, there's a sheet there, sermon notes. It didn't give you any room for notes. It just got a lot of info on there. But there are two questions. One is, what's church all about? And why are you here? And traditionally, Easter, thank God, is one of the most uh, well-attended services for all churches. But literally, asking you a question of why you're here. Tradition, that's what we do on Easter Sunday. Guilt, somebody else doing something to, to shut somebody up, a kickstart to your week. For many, that's what church attendance is. It's, it's, it's the booster to get them through the week, to heal from the previous week, to fix your life, to learn about God, to worship God, to feel good about your life, to change, to see people, to meet people, to learn how to deal with people. Anybody there? For answers about life, meaning, purpose, hope, Strength, 
How about all the above? For healing, deliverance, courage, direction, transformation. Did you know that church can be all of those things and then some? So if you're just coming to go through the motions, if, you're, if you've been raised to just, we go to church because it's a thing we do, then I want to tell you that you've, been, you've, you've lived an unfulfilled life with regard to church. That's not what church is all about. It's not about the rules and regulations. It's not about the, the, the things that uh, you're going to be told to do that mom and dad want you to hear. See? How about you come to church this morning, you might be here for salvation. I hope to convince you that you need saved. Some of you, many of you, maybe even most of you, might have already taken care of that issue. But this morning... To honor God, we believe the greatest thing we could do in celebrating the resurrection is that it's worthless if you don't have what it takes to actually benefit from the resurrection. So we're going to talk about that. It comes down to really a a simple two-question test, which really reveals the answer to that, if you're going to go to heaven. You see in the bulletin, I was so brazen to put that on there. It's the top panel in the back. It says, you know, are you going to, you could be baptized this morning. But the basis for being baptized is you've got to have Christ in your heart. So do you know that you're going to heaven for eternity or hell for eternity? It's the way I got saved. Somebody said to me, they asked that simple question. If you died today, are you going to heaven or hell? And I thought, oh, come on now. Who can know? And what are you going to do, judge me now? Nope, not at all. There's just, it's the fact of life is that we're all going to die. And we're living our dash right now. The truth is, is that's what God has for all of us. The starting point for us knowing these things is is the Bible itself. Some call it the foundation. For others, it's become a building block. For some, the Bible is a light. Some a flashlight. Others a nightlight. Some a searchlight. And for some, a lighthouse. For many, the Bible is a lamp. Occasionally, it is on. I know about you, I don't burn the lamps during, during my day. Many times, it is furniture or an accent piece. While some depend on it for their very sight. Whatever it's been for you, let me challenge you to take the Bible, to embrace it, and to begin to read it. Really invest yourself in it to see what it says. I don't want you just to start like, somebody said, read the Bible. I started and got to the genealogies and put it down. And then they said, well, start in the New Testament. So I started in New Testament in Matthew. Guess what I found? Genealogies. You know what genealogies are? So-and-so begat them, and they begat them, and they begat. And I said, I don't care about anybody else. I just care about me. And so I couldn't get beyond that. And so, you know, instead what it is now is as a pastor, I would tell you there are certain books that I would really encourage you to start with in the Bible because it's going to help to express something for, for many if if faith is not something that comes easy to you, if you have a difficult time believing and you're struggling even right now wondering when I'm going to shut up, let me tell you, read the book of Ecclesiastes, written by the wisest man, given all the wisdom from God, and yet he didn't actually live out that wisdom. How is it that you can have that much knowledge and wisdom and then still end up being stupid? Hey, sometimes don't we all do some things that just don't make any sense? I'm telling you, read the book of Ecclesiastes and you'll find in those 12 chapters, you'll find this king who's a real king, Solomon, who actually investigates life, 
from all these different pursuits and tries to understand it. You could say wine, women, and song. And he comes to a conclusion at the end of it all and that, that the life in God is what really makes sense. So it's wonderful to go through there because it talks about work. I had a brother this morning talking about working seven days a week. Hello, Bible says. What profit is there for a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? So why does the Bible talk about something like that that he knows that we'll be spending seven days a week laboring in 2013? You, You see, the Bible talks to our life today. We just haven't been instructed to read it properly. Maybe you're stuck in an old version that, that doesn't make any sense to you. It was poetic in the time, but it's, it doesn't have that for, for you today. Well, then let's find the translation, something in the words that you can read and understand. So then here we've got this narrative from the Bible in, in the book of Acts that we're going there right, right shortly. The Bible literally is God's passion and love for us, the world. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation. It's written to all people so that we would become his for eternity. So he tells us of the fall, tells us where we got into the mess, where we need him like we need him today to begin with. How about that? Let's pray. Here's how it says it for me. For God so loved me, he gave me his only son, Jesus, as a ransom. And in my stead, that anybody with any kind of sin and past could realize and live a new life and have eternal life with him. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask for a fresh anointing on it for our ears, for our sight, that as we look upon, as we listen, that God, something will happen to us today that may not have ever happened before, that we'll get it, that the light will come on. We agree that your word is a lamp to our feet, a light unto our path. We pray, God, for for you to uh, open up our our understanding, to give us wisdom and insight. And Father, we ask for salvation to come to this house this day in Jesus' name. So here it is in Acts chapter 13. Paul, here they are on this missionary journey. And it says that this is a a place where literally, if you go to it in verse 13, I'm sorry, Acts 13, starting with verse 13, if you go there, you'll be able to see on maps that will show in these days, these are actual cities. These aren't myths. This isn't, these aren't great stories. These are factual places that existed where people, men of God, disciples actually went forth and they preached about Jesus, this resurrected Lord. So it says that, On the Sabbath, after reading of the law and the prophets, the way they did church in their days, it was called the synagogue. They said to to Paul, and, and it says that, brother, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say it. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, men of Israel and you who fear God, listen, the God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with an uplifted arm, he led them out from it. For a period of about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. When he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he distributed their land as an inheritance, all of which took took about 450 years. After these things, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, 
a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. After he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, concerning whom he also testified and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. Let me pause there. I want to tell you that God is looking for that today. He's looking for servants beyond pastors, beyond missions, uh, missionaries, beyond people. He wants people to, to step up and, and say that we'll fulfill your purpose, God, in my life. I'll do your will, God. See, what it is, is now it's giving you a snapshot all the way from, from bondage in Egypt. It's giving you a snapshot and bringing you, like, like a, in, in, a, in a matter of minutes, it's bringing you up to speed with what God has been doing. Verse 26, I'm sorry, verse uh, 23. From the descendants of this man, David, according to promise, God has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus. After John had proclaimed before his coming a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And while John was completing his course, he kept saying, what do you suppose that I am? I am not he, but behold, one is coming after me the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Let me tell you that in those days, even of John the Baptist, people were looking for salvation. People were looking for freedom. People were lost. It had literally been 400 years where God just said, okay, I'm done talking. 400 years where he just fell silent. And here it is, people are craving salvation, the Savior. They're looking for the Messiah. They're looking for the one who will change their lives change their lowly estate. And so what happens is they're saying, John, are you the guy? Are you the guy? And, and no, he's not the guy. That's what it's, it's recounting right here for us. Brethren, sons of Abraham's family, and those among you who fear God, to us, the message of this salvation has been sent. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, recognizing neither him nor the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled these by, by condemning him. And though they found no ground for putting him to death, they asked Pilate that he be executed. When they had carried out all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. Can you say, but God? Yeah, God's, God's got his plan. Man's got his plans. Guess what? God's plan trumps man's plans. God raised him from the dead. And for many days, he appeared to those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem the very ones who are now his witnesses to the people. And we preach to you the good news of the promise made to the fathers that God has fulfilled this promise to our children in that he raised up Jesus as it is also written in the second Psalm, you are my son today, I have begotten you. As for the fact that he raised him up from the dead, no longer to return to decay, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he also says in another psalm, you will not allow your Holy One to undergo decay. Folks, you know you have to be embalmed. Something has to be done with your body within the matter of the first 24, 36 hours. Do you know why? You stink when you're dead. Some of us stink when we're alive. So what happens is, is that they have to do something with this rotting flesh because the decay and that process sets in immediately. And so what happens is, is for Jesus, it's important to notice that that's not what happened. That God said beforehand, he said, you will not undergo decay. 
Folks, the reason we want to embrace Jesus is because when we die, yes, this flesh will undergo decay, but not our spirit. What happens is God takes that spirit, which he's given to us, which we're, we're enlivened by Christ. And now we go into eternity with him. And then he says he gives us a redeemed flesh. He gives us now a body which is going to be without without spot or wrinkle. He gives us one which isn't crippled, which is without any kind of defect. Wow, I don't know what that's going to look like, but hello, is anybody tired of your sick and tired body yet? And if you're not yet, you're just not old enough. It's not creeping in yet. It says, David after he served the purpose of God in his own generation. Let me just challenge you, young people especially, you have an opportunity to do something in your generation that goes beyond what your parents have done. You, you get to do something that would be outstanding because nowadays it is the, it's no longer the rule. It's the exception to find somebody whose heart is hot after God, who somebody wants to live a, 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 a life to honor God, to serve him, that when others see your example, they'll look at you and see Jesus Christ. They're going to see holiness. They're going to see righteousness. Let me tell you, it's rather easy to go after the ways of the world and after the flesh, isn't it? Anybody in here done that? Been there, done that? Come on, let me see your sin in hands. Yeah, guess what? And some more, more than raised their hands. You know what you've gotten away with. That's the very evidence that this has got to be. Why would it be such a struggle if it wasn't real? Huh? If there was no credibility, if it was just a bunch of hype. Why would it be such a tough thing to walk upright before God in righteousness, choosing always the holiness and the best things? Why does all this other stuff so easily trip us up? Because it's real. He served the purpose in his own generation. David fell asleep and was laid among his fathers and underwent decay. But he whom God raised did not undergo decay. Therefore, let it be known to you that through him, Jesus... Forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and through him, Jesus, everyone who believes is freed from all things from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. Yeah. Therefore, take heed so that the things spoken in the prophets may not come upon you. Behold, you scoffers, and marvel and perish, for I am accomplishing a work in your days, a work which you will never believe, though someone should describe it to you. So what he's saying is that, hey, there are preachers that are going about, there are people who have, have been born again, and they're going around and they're telling you about this Jesus, they're telling you about salvation, they're telling you about what you must do to have eternal life, they're talking to you about being born again and being saved, and yet we're going blah, 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 blah. I don't want to hear it. Isn't that true? I put it in your bulletin there. It's a little quote out of Isaiah 49. I'm just going to read the the one verse which says, The Lord, the faithful one, the holy one of Israel has chosen you. Let me tell you, when you hear the word Israel of the Old Testament, he's talking about a chosen people. What you and I need to do is recognize that he's both talking about a nation, Israel, specific, but he's also talking about people who are chosen. I'm telling you, you're chosen. I'm telling you today, because you're in my hearing, you're chosen. I'm telling you today that you have to make a choice to choose him now. See, that's the way it works. You're not going to get to heaven because you attended church. 
You're not going to get to heaven because you, you kept most of the commandments. So you're not going to get to heaven because you're good looking or you're rich. You're not going to get to, to heaven based on having a whole bunch of kids or having no kids. I'm going to tell you there's only one way to heaven and we're getting there. In Isaiah, he says, at just the right time, I will respond to you. On the day of salvation, I will help you. Verse 9 says, I will say to the prisoners, come out in freedom. And to those in darkness, come into the light. And he ends this specific portion, verse 16. He says, see, I have written your name on the palms of my hands. I'm telling you, that's what Jesus did when he was crucified. I love that old phrase, says that while he was on the cross, you were on his mind. What year did he die? Somebody tell me, what year did Jesus die on the cross? Yeah, 33. He's somewhere, depending on when your birth is, somewhere around 4, 3 to 5 AD. So then you add 30 years to it. The fact that he was somewhere between 30, 30, uh, 33, 38 uh, AD. Now you take your year that you were born, 38 AD. Let's give it 38 just to make it easy. Bring it up to the year you were born. How many years is that? I was 1961. Somebody do the math for me. 1961 to, uh, to back to uh, 38 AD. What does that equal? 1923 years before I existed, Jesus Christ died on the cross for me to forgive me of every sin. See, in Psalm 139, he says, did they do the math right? Yeah. Now, I didn't come to accept Jesus until I was 30 years old myself. So that was in 1992. I was 31 years old. So that's even later that Jesus had already forgiven me of every sin. Psalm 139 says, before you were formed or fashioned in the womb, God knew you. Before you were formed or fashioned in the womb, God knew you. That he knew every word before it even comes on your tongue, he already knows it. Folks, that should cause you to tremble with some of the things that we say, language we use. I was waking with a young man crossing in front. Maybe maybe my neighbor heard it too. You know, walking in front of the house the other day, it was early in the morning, 7, somewhere around 7, 7, 15. And, um, you know, this is what he was doing. I can't believe it! Yelling to the point where I'm in my bathroom and, and I, I come out front because I think there must be an altercation going on. F, 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 F. Now you're really angry. You're really messing me up. You're really ticking me off using language. And I thought, wow, you know, what is that accomplishing? Who's on the, end of the other end of that? Where is this young man? Now, I wasn't really, you know, too big on, on all this stuff. I was more concerned with this is what our world is turning to. It's some sort of a shouting match. See, it's all kinds of guttural kind of language. It's all kind of, what are we, what are we doing? Just existing, just getting by? We're not better than that? I want to tell you we are. Let me continue the narrative. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We'll go ahead and uh, I'm going to ask in just a minute. We've got a couple guys who put this, uh, this uh, tent up. 
I don't know, Joel, you might have to help with that. We've got a little place. We're going to start with baptism. We're going to take the cover off, and we've got uh, some shirts for, for those who are being baptized. But here's the deal. You don't get baptized just... This isn't a matter of taking a bath, washing off some... This is a matter... It's a spiritual thing that we're doing first, and that happens by those who've accepted Jesus Christ into your heart. The reason you do that is coming up right here. Ready for it? It says, If it seems we are crazy... If it seems I'm crazy, it's to bring glory to God. If we are in our right minds, it is for your benefit. Either way, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. So we've stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view, how differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. All of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the word world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. So God is making an appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. Come back to God. If you, that, that implies that you might have abandoned God, that you might have walked away from God. There's a portion of, the, of you out there that that's who you are. You, you knew him. You've, you've been there. It didn't satisfy. You didn't get it. It didn't take for some reason. And, and you left. Maybe it was a judgmental Christian wagging the finger in your face. Maybe it was a matter of laws and the ways that you were being told to do things, which was just a matter of it didn't actually help you any. Maybe it's a matter that, that somebody, a, a pastor, a leader, ended up doing something that was vile and unlike God. And as a result of that, it, you just said, you know what? It's all phony. And I'm telling you, you're here this morning, and that's because God put something in your heart, and that's called eternity. And that's a longing after, and that's a seeking, and that's what he has. I'm telling you, I'm not, the only thing that makes any difference between me and the next guy is that I'm, I'm committed to making a choice to choose God and holiness and righteous behavior in everything that I do. Some of you know that I don't always do so well with that. Guess what? That's why his mercies are new every morning. That's why we can come to him and we can receive forgiveness. But I'm not giving up that easy. I'm not just going to claim that as a matter of the flesh. That's as if to give myself some, some right that way. How many of you know uh, this big green guy called uh, the Hulk? Actually, he's not green until he gets an attitude. You guys know who I'm talking about? Have you ever seen where he actually kind of controls himself so he doesn't split shirts and, you know, all that stuff? And, and I, I woke up this morning, I was thinking, what is this really? What is somebody going to get today that, that they wouldn't get any other time? And, and I thought, here's two things. Once you receive Christ, you got to walk in him. That's what some of the, the tragedy of the church and, is that we don't walk in it, that people don't see his righteousness in us. What they see is not much different than the world. Folks, it's, it's up to us. We've got to be when, it's, when that anger's coming on, when we're about to explode into even more ginormous, ugly flesh. That's when we have to calm down. That's when we have to 
choose to, to walk according to what is the Spirit of God to say this is his character. This is who he is. I know it because I've been reading the Bible and seeing that God is kind and, and, and he's faithful and this is the way he is and he's constantly forgiving and he takes and he heals. And when he could have rebuked and he could have judged, he didn't. What he did is he says, yeah, hey, you're healed. Go and sin no more. Wow. So what happens is that's the way we ought to be. And that's what I've got to choose because here's the most profound thing about Christianity, folks. You still get to do whatever you want. You can accept Jesus, be baptized this morning and go out and and commit adultery this afternoon. That's your choice. He doesn't remove that from you. You should know his greatness because he gives you the option. If it were me, come on. I'd put you in a, some sort of straight jacket you couldn't possibly sin. Isn't that what you'd do with your children, with pretty daughters? Wouldn't you make it? It's impossible for them to sin. But God in his greatness, he says, you go ahead. Here's what I've done for you. I want you to follow after me. I've already forgiven you. I'm telling you, I'll forgive you again and again and again and again. And he gives you the, the opportunity to walk after the, the flesh. You know what you got to do? You got to walk by the spirit of God. What's that mean? You got to be filled with his Holy Spirit. Some people will tell you that you'll get that when you get saved. And some of you believe that and you've lived with that and that's all you've ever had. And I want to tell you that you were sold a bill of goods. Somebody lied to you. There's a reason Jesus said you go and you wait until you receive power. You got me. I died for you. Now I'm revealing my nail pierced hands. I'm showing you. But I want you to go and you wait until you get power. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. Folks, I'm going to tell you, when you receive Jesus, yes, you get a dose of the Holy Spirit because it's three in one. They're all one. But I'm going to tell you, there's a reason he said you go and get some more fuel. How many of you running low on fumes? You're running low on fuel. See, that's the problem is fuel for the Christian life is the Holy Spirit. And yet churches and people have made the Holy Spirit weird and whacked out. Well, that's a flesh thing. That's not a spirit thing. So what we have to do is realize that sometimes if we're going to get the spirit, we're going to get a little bit of flesh. And we're all right with that because I'd rather have a whole lot of Holy Spirit and a little bit of flesh than a whole lot of flesh and no Holy Spirit. Did you notice? Come back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Wow. Back up in verse 19. Did you catch that? It says, for God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. How do you all do with that? How do you all do with not counting sins against people? Because you know what? I've got a memory like the proverbial elephant. If you wronged me, I remember it. Now, sometimes I don't do anything about it. You know, I'm not, uh, you know, holding grudges, so to speak. But usually it takes me some time to get over that. You know, I stew for a little while. Is there anybody else in here who stews? Yeah. So you're sitting there and you're thinking about, yeah, well, paybacks are hell, buddy. Paybacks are hell. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find a way, see, or I just withhold a little bit. I just withhold a little bit of my love. See, so we say we're, we love unconditionally, but we actually don't. We're very conditional people, aren't we? And yet that's the side that separates us from God. 
Because God says, hey, you come to me. How many times do I forgive? And then here's what he says. Love in, in chapter 1 Corinthians 13 says, love keeps no record of wrongs. Wow. I don't love so good. How about you? Are you a good lover? Depends on how you're measuring that. I'm not so good. So guess what I got to do? I grab a hold of the wood and get some splinters every now and then. See, why? Because that's what I need. I need a constant reminder that this flesh wants to continually rise up in me. What I love is, is John. You guys know 316, right? For God so loved the world. Can you say that's, that'd be me? Yeah. He so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish. That means go to hell for eternity, but have everlasting life in heaven with him. Wow. Now, what about verse 17? Did I give you that one to put up on the wall? John three seventeen. If not, it's okay. You know what it says? For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Do you understand if you blew it, if you've sinned, if you're just, you're just gutter dwelling scumbags, God isn't the one who's going to declare that. You have a heart and you know what you've done. You know where you've been. You know what kind of life you, you walk in all the time. You know how you keep getting tripped up with this stuff. Nobody has to be sitting there poking you in the eye, do they? How many of you like to be confronted with all of, your, all of the bad? Anybody? Please, please, come on. You don't like that? How many of you are guilty of something like that? Anybody guilty? Go ahead, I'm serious. Some of you, come on, raise your hand. Yeah, you're guilty. Guess what? That's not what God sent Jesus to do, is sit there wagging and telling you how bad you are and how much you, you need to go to church and how much you got to get your act together. You know what he says? If you could do it, you wouldn't need me. So he says, here's what I've done. I purchased you. I've made it okay with Papa in heaven. So now, give up on doing things your own way, doing things according to any, anything that you've been taught in the stinking world. The world is at enmity with God. That's what it says. You expect our government to make decisions that are going to be righteous decisions according to biblical belief? You better not. So you better understand what the foundation of your faith is because in the end, nations will rise and nations will fall. That's not God's plan. That's the way it works when you leave God out of it. All right, I got to finish. Let me go off the page because I want to be sure that I do one thing. There are, there are people in the room today that I don't, uh, I don't know. I don't know where you're at in your life. I don't know what you've, what you've done, who you've been. I don't know if, if you've grown up like me in a tradition, in a, in a certain denomination. And I went to church and we, we used to call it the sit, stand and kneel church. And that would be wonderful. And there were some glorious things that go on and, but I'm telling you that I used to, as an altar boy, I would, I would kneel here at the side of the priest as he's doing, and I would ring the bells, and I would wash his hands with this big crucifix hanging right here. And I want to tell you that I lived a sinful life. I want to tell you that it was early on that, that if you were a girl around me, you, didn't, you weren't safe. 
I'm not proud of that. I'm telling you, that's part of my past. It reflects what religion does when you don't have Jesus Christ in your heart. You can be going through the motions, but if you don't have him inside of you and the power of God working on your behalf in you, that's steering you toward righteousness, toward right choices, you're going to go profoundly after the world. It's just the way of the flesh. So what has to happen is you have to decide today, is a preacher telling a lie or is a preacher telling you the truth? The preacher's telling you that God has appointed the day of salvation. I want to tell you that we don't know when that day comes, when when death is going to come to your doorstep. We don't know if it's the next ride down the street. We don't know if you could be sitting here and and collapse. The issue is you're going to, to die. The question is when. God says he knows the appointed time for every one of us. He says there's an appointed time for salvation. I'm going to tell you, the preacher wants to give you that opportunity right now to accept Jesus Christ. It says that there's, there's one way. Jesus comes into this wicked and perverse generation, and it's simply John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Folks, people want to argue all the time that, that Christianity is so narrow-minded, that, that there's only one way. I'm telling you, that's because God took away confusion. He made it easy. There's not many paths to God, and you've got to somehow grope in the dark and and by chance come upon it. Instead, he says that he's ordained for you that he'll light your path. He's given you a clear. So Jesus says, I am the way. It's not many ways. I am the truth. You believed a lie. You've lived a partial truth. Now it's time to come to the full truth. I am the way. I am the truth, and I am the life. The life that people have made for themselves, without Jesus Christ, you will still die. You will go into eternity in hell, which is a place of torment, versus the place where God has for you. A loving God didn't send you to hell. A loving God provided a Savior to rescue you. The issue is now you have to choose that because he doesn't overpower you. He's not going to twist your arm. The preacher's not going to twist your arm. But I'm going to tell you, if you've been living like the the people with Paul, the apostle writes to Timothy, it says his son in the faith. He says some, they're they're living this pattern that is, is trying to act godly, but they're denying its power. So what it is, is a half-baked life, lukewarm. You know that there are issues that if you were under some microscope from God, you know just how ugly you'd look. That's because it's the flesh. That's because it's sin. And some of us old saints, you might have made a way for that. You might have said justified yourself or justified certain behaviors in your life. And I want to tell you, it's all pukey before God. I want to tell you, it's all flesh. It all stinks. So I just want to, I want to plead to you this morning. Part of your freedom and what you get to do and the sins that sometimes you'll choose, if not just find yourself in, that declares the greatness of God. It declares the mercies of God. It declares to you that what I'm telling you is true, that this flesh has an appetite and it's, it's insatiable. But I'll tell you that God has an appetite. His desire is for you. And the only way that, that you can live this life is to give up on what you've been doing, to come to him. Today is the day of salvation in this. The Bible says that if you believe in your heart, Confess with your mouth, Jesus Christ is Lord. That means giving him, hey, you take the reins, you be the boss. You will be saved. You'll be born again.
Can you put up that regeneration? It's the last part of the, of the message. It says there's really three things about regeneration. One's the definition for regeneration. Regeneration is the process by which God implants new spiritual life, his very life, in the heart of a sinner who believes on Jesus Christ for salvation. Wow. Do you get that? Do you know what that's like? That's like having committed the most grievous sin or the simplest, just a lie. Do you ever catch that? If you're really getting there, then what happens is the gross big sins you probably don't commit anymore. But there's little sins like tell them I'm not here. That's called a lie. Tell them I'm not here. Tell them I'm sick. See, so it could be a little minor thing, but I'm telling you that what you need is that for me, when I begin to get grandiose, I think that's what preachers do. Instead of lying, we just get grandiose. No, we lie. Come on. If we lie, what happens is, is God immediately says, "And eh, what is that? What is that? And immediately I say, God, boy, help me, please. I don't want to lie. I don't want to. This is stupid. Why did I do that? Why did I say that? So you may be in the place where you live more according to this pattern and you don't get messed up with all this other garbage all the time. But there's still stuff going on. I want to tell you today is a day for you to to make a decision for regeneration. There's three different aspects. By the way, I robbed this from Tony Evans. He's a pastor. It's from his book that says totally saved. Okay, go on to the next one. Three things about regeneration. One is new birth, which means being born again. That's literally John chapter 3 when Nicodemus, who's the religious man, comes and he wants to know about literally being born again. And Jesus says, you got to be born again. Nicodemus says, what do you mean? Can I go back into the mother's womb? No, I'm not meaning that. You've been birthed. You've been living your life. You've been living a life which has actually led you to religion, which is still leaving you in this condition where you're not safe for all eternity. So then he says, you got to be born again. So that's in John chapter 3, which is, of course, what I just read, three sixteen and 17. And then the next one, new birth, being born again. The other one is spiritual resurrection. That means being alive from the dead. Folks, that's what we've done today. That's what we experience in the risen Christ is the spiritual resurrection that literally he appeared to over 500 different witnesses over a period of days to make sure that people saw him. They saw him dead. Is he dead? Yes, he's dead. Really dead. Really, really dead. And then they saw him alive. And he revealed himself and he took time with them to make sure even actually, you know, he actually says, go ahead, put your, put your hand there in my side. I want you to feel that I'm really real. No, it's not just your imagination. No, it's not some trumped up thing that got in your head. You want to believe I'm real, tangible. Later on, he's cooking for him. Spiritual resurrection, alive from the dead. That's what happens to you and I when we do die. We have a spiritual resurrection. The next one, the last one is a new creation. That means completely remade. Folks, that's what some of our trouble has been, is that you're still carrying around the baggage of your old life. How you doing with that? Huh? You know, it's like a hobo. I've got it. I'm carting it around. Why? Because it's an old friend. It's not your friend. I want to tell you, your old life is not your friend. 
Will you just say that to yourself? My, my old life is not my friend. My old life, my old life is not my friend. Do you get it? It is not for you. You got to be completely remade. That's what Second Second Corinthians says, chapter five, verse seventeen. Behold, when you're when you accept Jesus Christ, you become a new creation. All the old is passed away. It's a it's better than some spiritual makeover. It's it's better than something where we just change the makeup and buy you a wardrobe. This is from the inside out. So what happens is what's inside gets out. And then people begin to recognize and notice something about you. It's not a matter of your goodness, goody two-shoes kind of. It's not the facade that you put on. It's not a matter of all the things that you can say the right things in front of the right people. And then when you get around somebody else, you go back to your corruptness. Let me tell you, you need to today, when you make a decision about Jesus Christ, you need to come to the decision that says, no more old life. No more old life. No more old life. It'll be for however long it takes that you're going to be in the midst of, of, of going there with the temptation, which are things that will continue to say no more old life. No more old life. You call somebody, call a mom, call a dad, call, a, call the preacher, say, hey, I need your help because, man, I've, that, that, it's coming up on me. It's creeping up on me. I'm wanting to live according to this old life. And guess what? I know that it's not good for me. So here's the deal. It says that if you believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. Not might be saved. It says you will be saved. Notice it says believe in your heart. There's something in you here that God put that, that this, it trumps your, your brain. It's not afraid of your brain, but here's the problem. If it was a matter of the intellect, people wouldn't be doing stupid stuff. Do you get it? It's not just a matter of what I want to do up here. It's what's in me. And what we need is we need to recognize that what we need is the new birth. We need Jesus Christ inside that begins to permeate every decision and every choice so that my mind is being transformed. I'm going to live this renewal of life. I'm not going to live according to the old life anymore. That's why we do it is because we continue. We haven't decided that the old man is dead in the grave. Let him rot. Amen. Now, let me ask you a question, folks. Lights are down low. We don't do the head bowed and eyes closed. If you're going to come to Christ today, it's going to be a glorious thing. We're not, we shouldn't be bashful of that. But let me ask you, do you know Jesus Christ for eternal life? If you died today, would you go to heaven or would you go to hell? And if you don't know, then we've got, to, we've got to do business. There's a way because he's purchased your citizenship for heaven. So I'm just scanning the room. And all you got to do is raise that little hand up like this. If you don't know the answer to that question, if you died today, would you go to heaven or would you go to hell? Let me ask it this way. If you died today and you think you'd go to hell, let me see your hand. If you think you'd go to hell, if you died today, could I see your hand? Nobody? 
Let me ask you a question. If you think you're going to go to heaven, I want to know what on, on what basis. Why do you think you're going to get to heaven? See, because the problem is, I walked in the grace of God, but until I bowed my knee and invited Jesus Christ into my heart, I was perishing and going to hell. Grace was here. It wasn't here. The way I got that is by receiving Jesus Christ, who's the giver of grace. So I want to tell you, if you haven't done that, if you haven't invited Jesus Christ into your heart specifically, it doesn't happen through osmosis. See, I can't do this, and I'm saved. Do you get the idea? I can't wash myself and keep, I can't do it myself. You can't proclaim me saved. It's the reason why every knee will bow and every tongue confess. Folks, I don't want you to leave today thinking that you're okay. I want you to leave today knowing that you're okay. And there's only one way to know that. Maybe you've responded to an altar call and you walked away from it all. Like I said, it's just been a mess. If that's you, maybe this is your time. Rededicate your life. Truth is, I was living with my wife. We're, we're there. It was 1992 when I accepted Christ. She had known Christ at an early age, grew up in the church like a lot of our kids. But she'd walked away from that. She wasn't living it. And after all kinds of stuff in our, our lives, 1985 almost got divorced. We were high school sweethearts. 1980, we graduated. High school sweethearts. 1985, through all kinds of sin, everything you can imagine, we almost got divorced. But that wasn't God's plan. That's amazing to me. We didn't have Jesus. We weren't going to church. We weren't being holy. We weren't doing anything to deserve him putting us together. Meanwhile, dad gets lung cancer. Battle through that for the next 16 months. Dad dies in March. 1987. Instead of me devoting myself to my wife and hoping to rebuild our marriage somehow, I just spent all the time with dad that I possibly could. Pretty amazing to me that I didn't, I didn't do anything to really resurrect or keep my marriage or transform it. But God, he was watching out for me. And I wasn't even his yet. I didn't bow the knee. I didn't invite him in. I was living life according to my own terms like a lot of you are. But God. But God. So on this appointed day with a dream that he gave me about the end times, no preacher could have convinced me, could have told me. I thought I was okay because mom and dad baptized me as a baby. I figured that meant I was good, good as gold. But yet, I'll tell you, when I had that dream, that revelation of Jesus Christ, my secretary, bless her heart, she's a wife of a Baptist preacher. And she's the one who asked me that question the first time ever. Joel, if you died today, would you go to heaven or hell? And I sat there and I thought about my life, and I'm a businessman, and I hire and fire employees and run a pretty good-sized operation, and I'm a good person in general. Oh, no, I'm not. I'm a liar and a cheat. I steal and I commit adultery. And I thought, 
I didn't even question if there was heaven or hell. I just, I just kind of somehow knew in here, I knew that that's what it all boils down to. Because too many people come and too many people go. And where do they go? And the Bible actually answers that. And it says that narrow is a path that leads to righteousness, to heaven itself. And wide is a path that leads to destruction. It says fewer on this narrow path and many, they choose that wide path. Let me ask you today, what path are you on? What's your choice? What choice have you been making? You kind of gone along with the scurry of the world. You're in the fast lane, living a fast life. It's easier not to to think about some of the grievous things that Christians have to think about. But the good thing is, he's the glory and the lifter of our head. And when we come to him and we say, boy, I blew it yesterday, Papa. He says, I got you covered. I got you covered. Hey, get over your bad old self. Get on with it. I'm going to help you. Next time, when I speak to you before, don't go there. That's what will happen by the power of the Holy Spirit. He'll start talking to you before you go there. And you won't have to have this remorse. You won't have that incident in your life. You'll be, he'll keep you from it. Today, you need to leave here with the assurance of heaven. Which means that you've done what the Bible says you need to do to be saved. If we could fix ourselves, we wouldn't be broke. I want you to come to the Savior this morning. I want you to acknowledge that life as best as you could build it isn't going to get you to heaven. There is no stairway outside of Jesus himself. Is there anybody who needs to do business with God that way this morning? Maybe it's just coming back to him. See, when the preacher said, Joel, that's a wake-up call from God. I'm telling you, in my heart, when the Bible says in 1 Peter, it says, it actually says it in Acts. It says that in the, in, in the preaching, it's Acts chapter 2, It says, Peter's preaching, they were pierced or cut to the quick. That meant, boy, did he make me me angry. It went right down and seared the heart. And it says, what must we do? Here's the simplicity of it, folks. It says, you got to repent and be baptized. Now, what's implied in baptism is you're only going to be baptized based on Repenting is to accept Jesus Christ. And then, because you've accepted Jesus Christ, you'll want to be baptized. You'll realize just how, 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 how much you've, you've lived a life that stinks. Today's your day. Is there anybody? Because we're going to get ready. Go ahead and people who are going to be baptized, I want you to get ready. Let me ask you a question. If you died today, Gary... Would you go to heaven or go to hell? And if you don't know the answer, we want to do that before you get baptized. Because what he's done is is he's going to, from yourself, not a matter of somebody lording it over you, not somebody bossing you, but what's happened is you've got it going on in your heart. There's a conviction in your heart about choices that you've made and the life that you've lived. And so today, right now, you get the opportunity to come to Christ. Amen? Not to rely on on somebody else's faith, 
Hannah's made that decision. So I'm going I'm to call for you. I want to know a couple altar workers come up here, please. Gary, I want you to come up and let's, let's do that right now. Who else needs to accept the Lord? Who needs to rededicate your life? Because you know that right now you'd be guilty and, and you'd be, if the judge was to judge your life right now, you'd be on, the, you'd be on that wide path. Don't you love choice? God's given you choice today. Thank you. You've chose to be with us today and celebrating. But we're praying that you're celebrating new life. We pray maybe today, even as while you're sitting there, you know that you and Jesus were like this. We're okay. But maybe there's something that God's challenging to that says that you've been kind of, you, you've still been, uh, you're, you're good, you're safe. But he wants you to be radical. He wants you to rise above the way it's been and live in a fuller, fuller way in your life. He wants you, he actually has given you talents and gifts and abilities. And he wants you to begin to use those for him. That's part of what we're here for is, is so that now we'll be his witnesses is what the Bible says. Could I ask you just to renew your covenant with him this morning? Renew that he has died to give you life everlasting. Let's pray as we get ready for baptism. Thank you, Jesus. Father, the room's full of of those who, when it comes down to um, salvation, when it comes down to the plea that says, will they be saved? We know we live in a wicked and perverse generation. Just like 2,000 years ago. So God, we know that you're giving us the same opportunity, the same option, the same choice. And God, I pray for those who need to be saved. That God, we won't miss this moment, the appointed time. God, for those who have fallen away, that they've made a decision years ago, but then that's been the end of it. They've lived that one moment over and over, but really haven't grown, God. And Father, maybe even fallen away, but they're back today. And I know, God, how pleasing that is to you. I pray, God, for that which is in all of us, the opportunity to backslide, the opportunity to go back into the old ways, like a hobo carrying about the old life. So, God, I pray that you will uh, break that stick today. 
I pray, God, that you will, uh, you will transform us in such a way that God will never be the same. We'll never walk after the flesh. God, if we get tripped up and we experience a moment of that, that, God, you'll deliver us from that evil. God, I thank you for resurrection life, which is ours. Today, God, we choose Jesus. Today, we choose you, God. We thank you for salvation. We thank you for resurrection. We thank you that we don't have to to go about dumbfounded by life. We don't have to go around in confusion. We don't have to have fear about dying or death. We don't have to live with the weight of our sin. We get to come to you and give that to you this morning. We choose you, Jesus. The prayer team will be up here. If you still have business to do, maybe it's just a matter of repenting that you want to leave here fresh and clean. You can do that all by yourself, but there's, there's a power when you come, when you get to, to link arms with a brother or sister in the Lord, when you get to express and receive, you know, a matter of, of impartation. That's what happens through our prayer team is an impartation. And would just help you to know that you're not alone. I'm going to ask you to stay as we get ready for, for baptism. We've got five or six different people. Matt, is that Mark? I'm sorry, Mark. Mark accepted Christ last Sunday after church. Can you come on up, Mark? When I asked you that question, there's no hesitation, was there? You know what Mark said? What did you say when I said you go into heaven or hell? Hell. The scary thing was is, is that it was kind of matter of fact, wasn't it? It's almost like you weren't afraid of that because you didn't know you had an option. You figure your life was so trashed that there's no hope for you. That's part of the lie from the devil, isn't it? So instead, what happened is you're confronted with new life. You're confronted with the option, and he chose the option. (laughs) Amen? Amen. God bless you. Hallelujah. We're going to baptize. So I'm just waiting. Joe, I think, is uh, getting ready. So Joe's going to um, come out, and he's going to baptize. And one of the things that we're doing is washing away and cleansing by by the waters of baptism. And we enter into that knowing that then God... He, he takes, and it's, it's almost like, just think about the holy scrub brush. Huh? He's going to like a, 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 a chemical peel, if you will. Going to take away all this old life and old garbage. And then there'll be things that we begin to do to, to disciple you, to help you to walk in this. Because it's not easy. Anybody in the room who's been there for any length of time can tell you, this is a, this is a tough road. But I'll tell you what, um, that's what makes it worthwhile. Amen? So... God is pleased in that you accepted Christ as your Savior. And he's pleased that you're being baptized today. So everybody, the old mark is going into these waters, and there's going to be a new mark coming out. Amen? I have searched to find the meaning of